The startup game has changed and only the most agile will make it to the other side. I'm your host, Michael Martocci, founder and CEO of SwagUp, and this is Out of the Woods, a show where we interview top startup founders, executives, and investors to hear how they're navigating the rapidly changing economic environment. We'll share real-time insights, strategies, and stories from those in the trenches with the goal to help as many teams level up their execution and make it out of the woods. So with that in mind, let's dive in. Alrighty, welcome back to the Out of the Woods podcast. We took a little bit of a break, but we're back and we've got a fellow bootstrapped entrepreneur in a similar space too, or at least you know, transformed into being in a similar space over time. We've got Lawrence Hanley from Desk Plants, uh, one of the Swag Up suppliers actually, which is a lot of fun to dive into. So excited to have you on the on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, super excited to be to be chatting here, especially, yeah, we are we, we do run in very similar circles in, in our business. We've obviously worked together, our, our businesses have. So um, yeah, excited to be here. Excited to be uh, chatting, chatting business with you. Yep. And how, how'd you make the move you know, over to Austin? Because as you were saying, you're originally from, I think, Boston area. You've been at some of the quintessential kind of Boston companies, I think HubSpot, right? And then you're at, yep. you're at yep. ProfitWell, right? With Patrick. Uh, Campbell. That's correct. Yep. I yep. love that guy, by the way. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a genius. Uh, he's a very, very, very. That was the last job I had um, in Boston, um, and that was that was a, a fun team to be a part of. Uh, it was, I think it's 2016. I was there, um, but uh, yeah, right around the beginning of 2017, and and I, I had had the uh, bug to get out of the Northeast for a long time at that point. Um, cold or the lifestyle or what? You know, it's so I attribute it to part of the the probably being the weather. I mean, it's, it's beyond cold. You, you know how it is. You're from that area. It's, it's the gloominess. It's the sunsets before four 30. Um, that's such a real thing. I mean, I was up there November to December this year and it's like yeah. three forty-five, and it's starting to get dark and I'm down it, here in, in Florida now and it doesn't get dark for like another hour and a half past like when the Northeast gets dark. Yeah, we we have sunsets already going past 6 p.m. here in Austin. And so, yeah, the thing is up there, and this is all pre-pandemic, it's before the work remote revolution, uh, you know, everybody's in offices. So you come out of that office and it's dark out and, you know, it's, it's well, I, you walk home in this bitter cold and just kick, kick your feet up and watch a show or finish whatever work you got to do. There wasn't a great work-life balance for me there because – you're kind of just stuck indoors during during that that horrible nine months of, of unending winter. But we always joke you know, that like, an, the thing another, to do out there is go to the mall or something. You know, there's like not much else dude, to do. It's like what movies are on this weekend? Like what what's what are we gonna do? Or or it's go to a bar and kind of drink drink the evening away, which it's just it gets old, you know. Um, so yeah, that was a huge part of it. And then my, my parents are also immigrants. They're, they're from uh, Europe. And so for me, they, it, was, it was always encouraged to fly the nest, so to speak. And uh, I, I just felt like I, I had a calling to get out, explore the world, see a bit. And um, so yeah, I, I ended up moving here in early 2017, April 2017, and I uh, came down with a company uh, who paid for, for the move. And um, that that company went through what uh, a lot of a lot of companies are doing right now through, through, through um, a bunch of layoffs, and I was part of that. And uh, I decided that 
Uh, it's a good, good time to start start the company. So, uh, but that's that's a long winded answer for how I got down here. Weather and uh, just sort of kind of in my blood desire to get out and see something more than the Northeast. If if this company would have been in Tampa or San Diego or Arizona, would you did you care that much about Austin specifically? No, and, and in fact, I thought I was going to San Francisco or Denver. Um, that when I was originally looking around and. Uh, I, I got the job through a former colleague. Uh, he, he recommended me and, you know, it's, it's how a lot of you know, new jobs kind of come by is, is warm, warm intros. And I was like, okay, I'll come out to San Francisco office. Um, he's like on, on a phone call we were having, he's like, well, actually the Austin office is hiring like crazy. Why don't you check them out? And, uh, yeah, the three weeks later I was, I was in Austin for, for an interview and, uh, I had a great three or four nights here. And uh, I can totally see myself there. And then it just made and the cost of living here was just a, it was a good match between what the, you know, what they're offering compensation wise and the cost of living. Cause San Francisco is just insanely high and, you know, Boston was the same thing. And so it sort of just became a, uh, uh, an easy, an easy uh, uh, added benefit to moving to Austin was just the, the cost of life being cheaper. Also no taxes. So uh, I think I, I originally hadn't, had any heart set on Austin, but it, it pretty quickly became a, a top choice once I started learning more about the opportunity. Yep. What, you know, one of the things you talked, you said is that, you know, being laid off basically was the catalyst to starting the business, which is, it's such a common kind of story where you hear people, you know, get laid off and it's like, oh, you might as well start something right now. Like, you, you know, there's no job security at any of these companies. Like, they don't care too much about you. You know, let's take it into our own hands and and try to build a business. Like, what were you thinking at that moment? Were you nervous? Was it like, oh, no, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like, now's the time. Like, let's just go for it. Or kind of what was the thought process when that happened? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, something that was kind of culminating inside of my own personal, you know, uh, side project type thing. I was doing this for about 18 months, all the research. I was looking for products that were not super uh, commoditized online yet. There, there wasn't a whole lot of competition, high barrier of entry. Was, there was a lot of things I was considering and uh, it just happened to be uh, a really opportune sort of layoff process. They they told us in May that the Austin office was no longer going to be supported. Um, and they said, basically, September uh, is going to be your last day. We'll, we'll keep you on through the end of Q3. Um, and then, you know, uh, you're going to be on your own, give you severance and all that. And so, so, so I actually had like a four or five month runway, which is probably pretty unusual for, for that kind of situation where I kind of was able to, you know, go into save mode and, and, and line some ducks up and, and get myself in a position where I was essentially being paid to make sure I minded my book and I still had responsibilities, but at the same time, I was able to kind of cut off around two thirty, three o'clock and, and really start investing more time into, you know, how do I, how do I, on September 30th, how do I step into entrepreneur mode uh, when it when it's time? And so I had some time to kind of do a lot of research, figure some stuff out, save for it. And I, when I when when that day came, um, you know, I I just felt, hey, you know, if not now, then then when you know, I didn't have any kids, I don't have any kids, but I, at the time I didn't have like any serious dependence upon me. It was a, it was I, I felt comfortable being able to fail. It, it, it's really what I came down to. I felt like if if it doesn't work out, I'm gonna land on my feet. No one else is gonna be you know affected by this. It's just gonna be me, and and I can figure it out and and get back on my feet very quickly. So that was that was it, and just sort of was like all right, I'm gonna take the leap, and, and I did. 
you think if you had a kid or you're like a single mom or something, you know, would that decision even be on the table or you wouldn't even have considered it at the time? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it was a part of my decision thinking about the advantage I had by, by not having that. Um, I think it definitely would have been a lot harder to make that decision because, you know, for me, uh, there, there was definitely a, a considerate, not a fear, but like a consideration that like this could all fall flat and, and I could, you know, come close to losing my shirt for a small period of time. I mean, that, that it's something that you consider. And uh, I feel like if I had a kid that I had to feed and get, you know, put clothes on and get them to school and, and all that, you know, I think that would be a much harder decision because I wouldn't want to put them at risk, right? I, I think it's it's one thing to put yourself at risk financially if you believe in a, in a cause and a mission. Um, it's another thing when you have others. That being said, my, my father, he's a successful entrepreneur. He started his business, I think, the week after my sister was born. And he just quit his job and started a business and got like his first $30,000 contract in 1992 and then sort of just went off like that. So I, I, I say it would be very difficult, but, you know, one of my biggest role models in my life did it. And it's my father. So Sometimes the constraints and situations like force you to focus and, and figure it out at an even, even greater pace. But who knows? So then you, know, you, you said you were looking around for like non-commoditized areas or, you know, maybe there wasn't that many brands in the e-commerce space for, you know, desk plants or something. What, how, how'd you arrive on plants as a category and what did you see in it that was, that was interesting? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I felt that two things. It was um, a very up and coming product that people were looking up online. And it's, it's a product that, um, obviously has very proven product market fit and the, uh, e-commerce, you know, revolution, so to speak was, was relatively mature in, in 2018 when I started and 2017 when I was going through, I mean, I, it just, it, it seemed to me that there were still some areas in e-commerce that, that didn't have a whole lot of solutions. And when I looked at desk plants and I consider, or I looked at, at plants, what, what I was considering was, um, obviously, low low um, amount of, of uh, uh, c- competition um, because I didn't want to get in a pricing war. I wanted to kind of be able to uh, focus on me and, and 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 you know basically become my own biggest competitor. I, th- I felt like that was that was important. And two, the actual product has a, a decently high barrier of entry. I mean, you have to. It's not like going and finding a, a t-shirt supplier overseas that you can get really cheap you know, a product, it's, you have to get certified by the Department of Agriculture in your state. You have to get a lot of certifications to prove that you're not going to, your plants aren't going to carry pests or uh, uh, fungus and, you know, things like that, that are, that are uh, super harmful to certain areas of the country, in California in particular. Um, And then there's also the fact that you have to, there, there was no real way to ship plants back then. Like people, there were companies doing it. The Sill was doing it. Bloomscape had just started. And when I was ordering their products to me, just for basic product research, the, I realized that their packaging was just not, wasn't anything like great. It was, they were still struggling to figure it out. So I felt like, man, there's an opportunity here to kind of figure it out on my own. Um, you know, just, just the basic uh, deliverability of the product to the, the customer. Um, it, it hasn't, there's, there's no, there's no patents in my way. There's no, there's no uh, a huge, 
a company that's that's sucked up all the the market share, uh, there's there's an opportunity here. So I think what it really came down to was. Uh, a, a product that there wasn't going to be a lot of competition for and a product that had a lot of momentum up and coming in the in the e-commerce space. Was there a way that you did like research in terms of looking at it, saying, hey, this has a lot of momentum. There's a lot of search traffic for plants. There's, you know, how did you go about figuring out that it was low competition? Was it something that you were already like observing or were you using like tools like, I don't know, like uh, web or something to figure out, you know, this is a hot market? Yeah, so I, I had the advantage of uh, I was working for an ad tech company at the time that that was the company I laid off from, and they uh, they had all the tools to show me you know exactly what you're describing you know what 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 are the trending searches how they've been trending for the last six months twelve months eighteen um, when I I look at the sill which was really and they are still probably the, 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 definitely the leader in the space. And they were back then because they'd been around for a little bit. But, um, you know, I was able to get some, some intel on not only how big their traffic was, but the demographics on their traffic, right? Who, who, who was going, who was buying, what, what is their estimated conversion rate? You know, how are they getting their traffic? You know, I was able to kind of almost create my own little case study uh, and see a very successful, very awesome brand um, basically drive traffic to the website and, and drive sales, uh, just the tools that I was using to prospect and go after other e-commerce businesses to sell the, the digital, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the marketing uh, technology for them. So I, I had that unique ability to kind of look at this business model, see how it was working. And then for me, it was then, okay, so how I've got this great product. I can, I can emulate a lot of what they're doing here. Um, how do I, how do I make it different? How do I make it my own? And then that, that was really the next bridge I had to cross. And that's, that's how I started really getting into the actual brand of, of desk plans. And then strategically, were you trying to go after their same customer segment, the same types of SKUs that they have, or did you say, Hey, I want to approach this from some sort of different angle? The latter. Um, I, I felt like they had a really great hold on the upper end of the market. And I felt like there was a, a real problem that consumers had with plants, which was I'm a plant killer. I mean, so to me, it, it seemed like if I can create sort of that that uh, entry to the product category brand, right, where we don't sell the rare, beautiful uh, types of calathea or the the new types of, you know, like the Raven Z's, but all these, all these new things that, that plant collectors really go crazy for. I felt like if I could go after sort of a, a buyer that wanted plants in their environment, but was still apprehensive about the idea of plants due to bad plant experiences in the past, I felt like I could win over a loyal group of or a loyal part of that that market. I think you could do some funny uh, marketing so with like hard bad. Get. Yeah, I think you could do some like funny marketing around that. I'm sure back in the day, we had a lot of fun with the puns early on. Yes, and and uh, you know the hard to kill uh, slogan was was really something that that resonated. And when we would do like pop ups when we were you know really trying to get the brand grown uh, organically around Austin. The, it, the hard to kill started so many conversations that, that just led to brand awareness and, and obviously sales. And, um, you know, I, I felt like that was, you know, a great way to differentiate ourselves from the sill. Um, you know, no knock on what they're doing. You know, they, they do a great job what they do. But I felt like they were focused on the I, I called their buyer the Upper East Side uh, Manhattan something really clean, really chic. And I just felt like we could have uh, a brand that was more open and appealing to everybody, um, especially those who, who want plants, but weren't necessarily confident in their skills. But but was the real competition like the sills of the world or is it just the alternative of either not 
you know, having plants in your home or going to somewhere local and, you know, some, you know, Home Depot and buying plants or whatever the local flower stores are that have some of this stuff. Is that really what the core competition was? That's what it was. Correct. Yeah. Um, When I, especially when we opened up the brick and mortar uh, in late 2019, um, we we found that uh, we weren't really even competing with the other nurseries in town. We were competing with those Home Depots, those big box stores that could get just better prices. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I, I never beyond like the first couple of months, as I started to learn the market, you know, I I stopped looking at the sales competitor. I stopped looking at Bloomscape as a competitor. Um, You know, we definitely were going after some of the same traffic online, but uh, you know, I just found that this space was so big and there just really still isn't a whole ton of supply or suppliers uh, for, for, for the demand out there for plants. Um, that I just think there's still a ton of ways to go after the the different parts of the market to to drive them to your site and, and get sales. Is the, was the supply side hard to figure out? You know, you said there's not that much supply out there. Like, how do you get proprietary product at good costs um, reliably? Is is that a tricky thing to figure out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny in the plant world. It's you can't really differentiate uh, differentiate a whole lot on plant selection because that's what nature's, you know, evolved. Right. So, um, it, it, it's, it's not every, every month that you can just come up with a new plant, but I, I think the bigger differentiation is in the, uh, the pots, right. So, so finding a, a, a line of pottery, um, that was certainly a, a tricky task up front. Um, you know, we, we now buy direct from manufacturers over overseas a lot of the time, but at the time I didn't have the budget to go get a container. I didn't know how to do that. I never imported a single product in my life when I was starting out. So, you know, I really had to be pretty, um, pretty focused for, for a month or two on, on every day looking at how are we, we going to get pots that look different than everybody else out there to differentiate, um, you know, desk plants and, and, and have just a different appeal on the actual products to, to the market. You ended up switching kind of the focus though, to more of a, a B2B market. What was, what was it about B2B that was more appealing than B2C? And is there still a B2C element or is it really like going a hundred percent after the B2B market? Sure. Well, um, just to kind of give a little kind of, I think it's a fun little, uh, small story to tell about that. Uh, when we went into the pandemic, we had a brick and mortar open and our e-commerce consumer side was doing okay, but the, 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 uh, brick and mortar was shut down. I mean, we could not operate, we could not sell anything and, and there was just no getting past that. You called me up because we were on a co-featured thing with Trello. I think it was like a customer story on Trello, maybe. And you called me up. You said, hey, man, can you get a logo onto POTS? I've got a customer that might be interested. And I, I did never even consider that. And I said yes, and I figured it out. And I think we did a small, maybe it was like a 150-unit deal there. But you basically opened up a, a whole new channel for desk plants. And now the business that, that we have pivoted into, uh, I have to say, has, has a lot to do with that phone call that you made. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny that we're, that we're talking here and that you asked that question. Um, but to answer more directly, uh, the reason we went to B2B was we felt that, well, I felt that as I got more into it, right, as we did more business together in 2020 and we had more distributors coming and saying, oh, I think, you know, we, we want some plans. Like, how, how do we get these in our catalog? How do we get these in front of our customers? And I really started to learn that. I started to also learn that there were nobody else really doing plants like the way that we were doing. 
there are some other plant companies out there in, in, in the promo space. Um, but there really weren't like a lot and there certainly weren't any doing the, the ingrate this like premium level. That's um, like something a consumer would buy themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 uh, it's not just like, uh, a cheap trinket from overseas that a lot of the promo gifts that people just sort of associate with promo gifts or, or, or B2B gifts. Um, it, it's definitely got a little bit more of a higher end to it. Um, but yeah, no, I the, the reason we made the ship, by the way, within the last six months, we in late 21, we closed down our brick and mortar uh, because we were just I was looking at the numbers and we were just so much more profitable on the B2B side that um, it, and, and, and with brick and mortar, you got to just put so much cash into inventory and other assets to run the actual day to day operations that it really kind of squeezes you. Uh, when you want to invest in whether it's a marketing effort or uh, if you want to go out and get a new store, I mean, it, it, it really constrains you on a cash you have as a small bootstrap business. And so uh, to me, the switch to B2B was both freeing up cash. Uh, it was it was a much more profitable channel for us. And I felt that uh, as low competition as there was when I was getting into it in 2018, when I was sort of mentioning the sale on Bloomscape, this had even less competition. And I, I found that there was a really big growing demand in, in promo around things like sustainability, um, wellness products, um, living alternative living product, product products. There was more focus on expanding budget per unit for for gifts to to you know show a higher value appreciation for for employees. So I think there was just a really good storm of innovation within promo, and our product kind of just fit into a corner of that, and uh, it really just made sense. And as we progressed through twenty two, and we started seeing uh, a ton of growth, uh, pretty pretty organically. By the way, you know we weren't like at huge shows, we, we weren't uh, uh, going to, you know, in-person meetings with these big distributors and, and pitching. It was just people were coming in. And uh, at the end of 2022, we, we, I made the decision to basically uh, uh, sunset the consumer side of our website. And what we're doing now is the, the main reason is because uh, a lot of distributors, traditional distributors have uh, it's difficult to sell direct to consumer and do promo because there's a bit of an issue with people coming to the website, seeing pricing and, you know, th th there's mixed wires there. And sometimes a middleman that the distributor gets cuts out and, and, and it, it hurts the relationship with us and the distributor who brings the business. And it just makes the whole thing just a little bit messy. And so, you know, we are going to rebrand our consumer side because it was doing very well for us. And we feel like we can go back and, and, and do even better. Um, and that, that's a new brand we're going to launch uh, at some point in the first half of the year. We're, we're eyeing sort of May, June as, as a rollout for that. But really, our focus right now is B2B because it's working. It's doubled. Uh, we've doubled every single year since 2020. And we, we believe we can triple it this year with with uh, all the new efforts we're doing. Um, and so, yeah, that's 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 the long winded story to how we got to B2B. Um, and a lot of it had to do with that one conversation that we randomly had just from you calling me up and asking me, can we do this? And uh, it shifted my entire you know uh, model of the business eventually uh, three years down the line. Well, I definitely had a sense that it was probably newer for you. I, I wasn't sure if it was like the first time ever that it happened, but that's that's really fun to hear. And I think it's like such a classic entrepreneurial kind of story of figuring it out. It's like, yeah, like, yeah, we could do it. We could figure it out. And, and just like on the back end scrambling to make it happen. And I think that that's like 
responsible for 80% of the success of, of startups and, and swag up specifically. Like a lot of the early customers that we had was like, Hey, can you guys do warehousing? And can you guys do global shipping? And can you do, you know, all of these types of things. And when you're nothing to nobody, you have to just say, yes, you know, you have to say, yeah, well, yeah, yeah we, we could do that. Yeah. We've done it before. You know, like you, you need to just like put out this sense of confidence and strength and figure it out. And you do, I mean, when you're under the gun to figure something out, you usually figure it out, you know, and it creates yeah. all these opportunities. And that's, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, they would it's they struggle with entrepreneurship because you have to kind of play in a gray area a lot of times and it's not to be deceptive but it's just that like you know you're starting it up you're not going to have every capability but your job is to like learn from customers and 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 react and adapt and you need to be willing to kind of put yourself out there and make it risky and then just follow up and and figure it out on the back end you know yeah, yeah, no, and 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 you know, for me, look, we've we've said yes to things, and things haven't worked out, right? And you know, the the biggest thing is to learn from those situations. Be be honest, as as you know, somebody in trade and business, and you know, when it does work out, figure out out what lessons you learn along the way there too. Because you know, like you're saying, you know, doing things like warehousing and fulfillment, you know, you might find like, hey, we're actually kind of good at this. How do we how do we make this scalable? How do we go market this to more you know customers? Just you know, and for me it was the same thing when when we got into promo or got into to, to customizing pots. It was like okay, holy holy moly, we can we can figure this out. We can do it. How do we sell a million of these in a year? You know what I mean? Like how do, what's what do we got to go through to get there? And that's when the the entrepreneurial mind comes in because then you got to figure out every single step along the way to, to getting to that that scale. <clears throat> There's a, there's a lot that's that's uh, involved in that, and you have to go in and you just you just start day one and you put your head down and and get it figured out until you have a you're hitting that goal and you have you have a very confident model in in which you can you know sell and and bring to the market. Then how do you know you don't have to give very specific numbers, but how do the unit economics kind of compare between the B two C you know variant of the business versus the to B because obviously you know, the AOVs are way different. I think I saw a post that it was like two thousand versus like seventy dollars or something, and then you have a whole different mm-hmm. you know customer acquisition cost because it's like going through a channel and they're bringing the business versus you having to pay for you know traffic or ads or something to get this specific customer. So like, could you walk down and break that down at a high level? Sure. <clears throat> so when I look at consumer. You know, there, there's just there's a lot more moving pieces that you have to consider, right? You know, you're gonna have to hire. Typically, it's 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 consistent volume, right? So you have to have more employees on. You have probably, you know, for me, I had a, a whole brick and mortar store, so I, I had 13 or 14 employees. I, I had to, you know, keep keep on on payroll. I had a, a store rent. You know, I was talking about having to put money up front into. Uh, into products which also don't have a great cash cycle sometimes because you took a chance on something that doesn't sell. Um, you, when you're thinking about acquisition costs, right, your margins are just that much smaller when you're fighting after going after somebody. Uh, when I say fighting, I mean like you're competing on on all these different channels to bring people to your website. And you, you uh, if if your average order value is seventy, and my my gross margin it was somewhere uh, probably around average about forty eight. Eight percent, fifty percent, which is you know okay for 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 consumer uh, good. Um, you know that so that leaves you with let's call it fifty. That leaves you thirty thirty five dollars to not only pay 
uh, all the expenses of the business down, but then a little tiny bit in there to go acquire a new customer for for seventy something dollars. And in the product category of plants itself, it's it's uh, very akin to it, like a home goods, right? Um, when you shop for a new coffee table or a new desk, you're only buying that once every three or four years, right? So you're not going to get a whole ton of return customers. And there's ways that you can influence people to buy other products, you know, like fertilizer for plants. You know, it's like another, it's a nice add-on that people can come buy, come back and buy. But it's it's a much lower uh, um, AOV for, for a lot of those uh, accessories that people would buy. So to me, it just on the consumer side, you in, I'm bootstrapped, so I don't have a ton of wiggle room to play to, to, to go put money into expensive marketing channels to, to drive traffic to the website to convert and then, you know, uh, look at data every single day and make sure the, the website is optimized. On B2B, though, the, 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 our average order value is over $4,000. And, you know, what that means to me, to, to us, to desk plants is that I have that much more money to play with uh, to go and acquire a customer. So if, if I, you know, for, for in promo, it's less about the, the ad campaigns you're doing. It's more about spending the four or five, six thousand dollars to go attend a trade show. Then you got to spend, you know, another couple grand on travel arrangements, things like that. So it's it's not without its its own marketing budget. But, you know, with with if you just get like two projects off of that, right? Uh, you've basically made your money back uh, on our average order value there and versus the expense to go to that trade show. And then on top of that, uh, you're, the, the customer lifetime value is a lot higher because if they come back for even just three more purchases in 12 months, that's a uh, $12,000, $15,000 you know, lifetime value versus somebody buying a $70 project or a product for, for three or four different times, right? So um, the, the payback's just a lot, a lot bigger there on, on B2B. And also on, on the, the expense side, um, it's a much leaner business. Uh, I don't have to have a 3,000 square foot uh, showroom floor or retail store. Uh, I have now uh, 24, 2,500 square foot warehouse space that is perfectly sized. And if, as we continue to grow, I've got a relationship with my uh, 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 realty group where I get my landlord. I can go. They've got other units I can grow into. So I don't have to go out and do a whole new search again. So the, the, those expenses nobody considers that, that that's kind of not not at stake there. And it's a lot cheaper to have warehouse space than retail space. Um, and so and then and then with employees, I don't have to carry 13, 14 employees on hand to run a store. Uh, I, I have a much lower employee count. I, I've got uh, five employees now, um, which is great because they they're they're very efficient in what they do and we can get all the projects out that we need to and as we grow and we've got a, a schedule ahead of us to hire as we grow through 2023 uh, I know what my thresholds are just because we've been in in this space for three years or so so I know exactly hey when we start doing X amount of units per month we got to bring another employee on so I know what the cost is going to be so everything not only becomes a lot more economically viable in unit economics, Everything's a lot more predictable too. And I think that has some value in saving cost and time as well, because I'm not scrambling. I, I know when certain you know milestones are met, I know how I got to grow the business and where I got to grow it and, and how to do that. And it's similar like in agency world, they say like the customers that spend the least are the most annoying or the most you know problematic. Yeah. And it's kind of the similar yeah. thing. Like you can have one customer that buys a $75 plant and a B2B client that pays $10,000 for a customer order. And they can be just as much effort. If not, it could be more effort, the individual, because they come back and they complain about X, Y, and Z, and this just goes smooth yeah. and it's you know 150 yeah. times larger order, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, and you know, we, look, we it's one of the, the the ethos of of what we do is look, we understand that we're never going to be perfect in what we do, but we we really try to make an effort with our our customer care and 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 just being you know communicative with everybody. And when you have fifty people with a seven dollar plant, it's just that much more draining on you know what what you what your bandwidth is, right? And you know, if if it's somebody with a ten thousand dollar order and a few plants got uh, you know damaged during shipment, it's it's we can easily put together, okay, here you go. It's, it's a few more plants, but we also have that much more room to work with shrink if, if, if things happen. Right. So, um, it, 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 we're also able to be better at customer service when things do happen because yeah, we just have that much more financial freedom and, and that much more time to, to, to be able to allocate towards these customers. I, th- I think it also goes into like lessons around the differences between gross margin and net margin, you know, like somebody, who maybe runs a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand might be like, hey, you know, I don't want to go through wholesale or I don't want to work with B2B companies because I'm going to lose 20 points of margin or something like that. But when you actually break it down and you go into all the costs associated with servicing, you know, direct-to-consumer demand and running different storefronts, you, know, you might end up making way less from a, a net standpoint. And it's kind of similar to like the, you know, Costco with Kirkland brands. You know, a lot of those Kirkland brands are mm-hmm. really... Um, you know, major retail companies like the tequila that they sell for Kirkland is like made by, um, you know, uh, Patron or something. And Patron's okay with it yep. because, you know, yeah, they're selling it at a way lower, you know, cost for, uh, from a wholesale standpoint, but they don't have any of the marketing costs associated with it and a lot of the distribution costs. And they're actually more profitable on a unit basis at the end of the day than if they were to go sell that themselves somewhere. So I, I think it's a good lesson of, you need to really understand not just the gross margin, but the net margin. Be honest with yourselves about all the different costs that are associated with selling. It's so true. One of the the, the hardest lessons I learned because for me, when I first started out, look, I I, I was my background's in sales, right? That that's professionally what I was doing before I I became an entrepreneur. And uh, you know, one of the the I brought on a financial advisor. She's uh, I've worked with her since basically the start, and we we meet once a week, and she we walk through our numbers. But in the start, she was. You know, we were going through pricing strategy, and this is still when I was consumer focused. You know, I I wanted to be aware of price sensitivity based upon what other similar you know uh, companies were pricing similar products at. But you know, the one thing I, I always battled with her was, well, you know, I need to stay at this price point with this product. She, she would always say, well, are, you're not putting enough into covering your net margin because you're you're forgetting about the the cost of the business. It's so easy to look at what the cost of the product is and say, oh, my, my gross margin is 75%. We're going to be able to cover costs, no problem. It's a very common mistake that very early stage entrepreneurs make. But the, re- the reality is you need to not only um, be able to cover your expected fixed costs, you got to be able to have wiggle room in there too, because there's going to be months where things happen like COVID. Like uh, last week, my my we had an ice storm in Austin. My The, the front door to my um, uh, uh, warehouse shattered because ice... Uh, got into some of the glass there and expanded. So it's just little things like that. There's there's a lot of expenses that just come up. And I feel like peop, uh, a lot of people who are inexperienced um, don't necessarily include a lot of the wiggle room in their net margin. And and it's important to do so when, when, when you're looking at pricing strategy. That, so you had a personal a financial advisor that was willing to help you from a business perspective and, and figure out kind of the cost structures and model of the business? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I hired her, and, but but she she's uh, she 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 just she she's an interesting 
uh, this is what she does. She, she works with startups and she basically helps people learn how to read a P&L on a balance sheet and understand how to use that to uh, influence your business decisions or be a major part of them uh, when, when you're, whether it's considering opening up a new location, going into a new line of, uh, a new channel of business like we were doing, um, or, or just your pricing strategy. I mean, she, she, um, she's really just just been i probably the, say the biggest influence on my journey as an entrepreneur just understanding how important it is to be very in tune with what your financial reports are telling you every single month um because it can be very easy to overlook something or a small expense every month that that can add up um and and all of a sudden you have an economic downturn and then it's like oh shoot what do i i gotta cut fat somewhere i gotta i gotta survive um you gotta be in tune with 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 your economics there uh, to, to be able to make those decisions and i i think um, yeah, she, she, I would say for anybody, I mean, find somebody who knows, uh, finances in and out if you don't, um, because that's going to be the biggest, uh, ally you have in running a business is, is somebody who can help you understand what your business is telling you. Yep. No, I think, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that, you know, first time founders make is they don't have somebody around them that is watching those things. Cause most founders, that's not like their natural skill set. And, you know, one of the first hires we made was, you know, a finance exec to, to take over that kind of stuff. Because I knew that if I was going to focus yeah. on like growth and the business and this and that, I needed to have somebody also looking at, at that side at the same time. And it's been super valuable. Um, and it's easy to, it's easy to miss those things if you don't really understand what you're looking at, especially when you mm -hmm. think about things like, cash flow versus like accrual based financials and how they're very different things. Um, mm -hmm. you can really like fool yourself into thinking things are good, especially if you get paid, you have like good working capital, like negative cash conversion cycles where you're getting paid quicker than you're paying out. You can have this false sense of, you know, profitability when you're not really profitable. You just are holding on to cash that is ultimately right. going to leave the business at some point, you know? Right, right. No, and it's it's so true. I mean, I just sort of when I first started out, I I knew roughly how to read a PL, but but uh, I didn't understand the concept of cash flow. I didn't understand the concept of cash cycles, uh, especially when you're dealing with a physical product. And it's you can look at a, a one month report and be like, oh man, our net margin was was fourteen percent. We're you know we're aiming for twenty. We're we're getting there. That's great. But then you look at the bank account and you say, well, why, why is, why isn't the cash there? Why isn't it sitting there? Like, like, shouldn't it just be accruing there? Well, no, there's, there's actually a whole different science to managing your cash flow and being able to uh, understand what cash you're actually going to be able to keep and, and put towards whether it's paying down a debt early or just, you know, personal owner take home uh, and, and what's needed to be able to keep up with the, you know, supply side, because, Especially in promo, you gotta they, 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 you gotta make sure you have at least a minimum quantity of some of your super popular products on hand because you know it, it's you, you, tomorrow. I, I if you if your team came to me and said, "Hey, we need 500 units to go tomorrow," and I say, "I'm sorry, I don't have it in in uh, in stock," like I'm I'm shooting myself in the foot. I'm 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 throwing an opportunity of a business away, right? So. Um, it, you gotta, I, the biggest thing, the, the biggest learning curve for me was understanding the cash flow, uh, uh, cycle and understanding what it meant to me and how I could manage it better. I feel relatively confident in, in how I'm doing it in 2023, but, uh, in 2019, our first real full year, uh, I mean, I was, it was, it was a scramble mess, but I mean, I, I learned, I you just, you just have to learn how to, how to manage it and, and figure it out and make it work for you. I mean, there's, there's some businesses that are 
all they are are financial arbitrages for floats of capital. Meaning like you take a Venmo, for example. Yeah, there's some transaction mm -hmm. fees, but most of their money is just predicated on the fact that they get to hold on to their customer's cash for certain amounts of the time and they can monetize that ability to hold on to that cash. So you can have like a great business and a really shitty business and they can all all just be, it can be the same exact business and it's just because of the cash flow dynamics and how they manage like their working capital can make all the difference. And it's, For it's sure. pretty crazy if you don't like understand those dynamics. So being, you know, being bootstrapped, was that a deliberate choice? Is it just the natural, you know, progression of the business? Hey, it started this way and we didn't really need it and it is what it is. Or were there parts along the journey that you're like, oh, we really need some capital. Like this would have allowed us to grow faster or, you know, get into new markets sooner or something. I felt that, um, I felt that if I'd have gone after, uh, like even just a, an angel round, um, I'd be diluting my ownership, uh, pretty quickly, pretty early without having driven enough value. And to be honest, I felt that we were on a path to be able to going into uh, a stretch of, of uh, raising raising funds during 2020. Because our when we opened up our brick and mortar, it was a very successful channel very quickly, growing really rapidly. And we, we, we were able to put a lot of money into our PR and, and our, and our um, you know, our marketing around town. And it, it was really thriving. And, and doing well. And I felt like that was the model. This is the one we're going to build off. This is the one I can raise and we can replicate. We can move, you know, this concept into other uh, markets in Texas. But I had to shift the, the business model again because Corona hit and or the pandemic and it really shut a lot of that down and it, it took a long time to recover. So for me, I just was never, I wasn't confident in my model and what I had put together to be able to go out and ask for money. And I felt like I would be vastly undervaluing, you know, my, my own, uh, uh, future by, by doing that too early. Funny you say that we're, we're getting into a point right now. I'm actually, uh, putting together some, some decks. I've got a couple of, uh, I got a great advisor on my board who, uh, is working with us to put together, uh, a, our first iteration of a pitch deck, um, because we are looking to, to grow, uh, what we're doing in the promo space, uh, we, with, with the value that we've driven and, and the model that we've grown in the last, uh, two and a half, almost three years, I find that this is a, a valuable business that people are going to want to invest in, especially now, because, uh, if you look at the, the economic downturns, this is one of your podcasts, uh, a little earlier today, and, and um, you, you guys were talking about how, uh, everybody in 2021 and 2022 were focusing on growth and now everybody's focusing on profit. Uh, I think we're at a, the Despens is at a unique uh, junction where we've had profit. We've had proven profit for, you know, more than a year and a half now and consistently. And I think that, that when, when angels are going to look at putting money into businesses at, at, in this period of, of the market with the uncertainties and all the layoffs going on around, people want to not put money into a potential valuation of one day it could make money. I think people, especially in the, in the earlier rounds, are going to be very focused on, okay, is this making money right now? And is it scalable? And I think we've got a model right there with that, that, that has both of those things going for it. And I think we're, we're just in, in the right opportunity or right, right point to, to go out and do that. And what, what do you think are, is like kind of the ultimate vision? Does it change at all? Is it just kind of what you're doing, but do it on a much grander scale? Are there, are there avenues that you want to take this that you haven't kind of explored just yet? 
I think that there we're, we're look we're super niche supplier in a decently large market. Okay, so I, I my vision is I, I don't believe that this is a ten billion dollar company by any means, and that's okay. Uh, what, what what I see is you know we can really run our ceiling up pretty quickly or up to our ceiling pretty quickly uh, in the promo space with our product category by expanding products. Um, kind of going after some of the lower end of the market to, to get more higher volume and, and just win more deals down there. Uh, and I think that there's uh, uh, something to be said around um, sort of expanding into adjacent product categories that are within line of sustainability, uh, plant-based, uh, wellness-based. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity in promo to, to grow uh, beyond just a potted plant. Um, but ultimately, I think there's there's a vision there that once we've we've expanded in there, um, we, we can we can then start looking at the consumer side of things under a different you know obviously other uh, another brand umbrella. But we the customization is huge in gifting, and I think that there's um, a great avenue with our distributors that we work with right now, and there's also an avenue to go uh, consumer direct under a different name, so that we're not, you know, playing people off of each other and, and you know, stealing or take, taking away the middleman because that's a very important part of our business. Um, so I, I just think that there's an opportunity to, to to take everything that we're doing, growing and building in uh, the, the promo world, and be also able to do it on on the consumer side. And I think there's even even higher ceiling on that side as well. What's your take on the economy today? You know, obviously things have changed a little bit. There's been a, a lot of inflation over the last 12 months. You know, the interest rates that used to be 2 3% or, you know, less than that, if you're talking about like the actual Fed funds rate was much lower. It was now 4 5 6%. Getting mortgages is much harder. You know, business lines of credit and debt are more expensive than they used to be. Um, you know, employment seems to be doing, you know, holding up pretty well. Um, but you know, especially mm-hmm. in like the tech markets, a lot of these companies are obviously laying off people. Every time I go on li- LinkedIn, I see more and more layoffs. Um, you know, what what's your take on on the economy today, and and how do you how does that play into how you think about like strategizing and modeling out your business specifically? I think people are are realizing that there was an entirely huge amount of money that was flooding the markets uh, for the last 12 years and really sort of ramped up to an even higher level to, uh, coming out of the pandemic into, into 2021 and 2022. And I think uh, what people are realizing is that that cycle couldn't last forever. And I think what we're seeing right now is a correction in the market. I don't think it's uh, anything that's going to uh, become a, a, a comp- uh, like a mass extinction, extinction event for small businesses. But I think people are, are realizing that it's, it's, uh, they're going back to it's almost like it's a, an archaic way of looking at business. So they're going back to profitability that they're realizing, you know, you can only uh, uh, go off of a, a, a perspective valuation for so long. I mean, at some point, your, your business has to make money um, for it to continue. And I think that there, I, I think that the there's a lot of obviously there's a ton of of layoffs going on, and I think that's very very much in the headlines. But I still think that there's a lot of companies that are doing very well that are that are healthy business models who are there to hire. I, I've I've heard of a lot of people being laid off from from like their tech firms that they're working for, and not really falling on on concrete so to speak. Like they they've been able to get jobs relatively quickly, um, you know, and and sort of figure out their their pivot in, in, in their careers. Um, and, and I think it's just a matter, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of heavily funded businesses that made some very prospective investments in 2020, 2021, 
I'd say one of the highlights being Facebook thinking the metaverse was going to be, you know, this that the web web 3.0 was 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 here. We're ready for it. We're going to go into uh, an alternate uh, reality. I think that was a a we may get there, like the but modern day like Y two K or something, right? We're going to look back at it, but yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're also look, look at these NFTs that we're selling for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars that are worth like $50 now, right? So I think there was almost like a hysteria around uh, people people getting into these, these uh, the, the future ahead of their time and making a lot of money off of it. And certainly some people did. But I think uh, people also realize that there's a reality behind it. And um, the, the valuation was, was uh, definitely pumped up. And, um, you know, I think what's happening in the economy now is that people are realizing we need to get back to a, a leaner business model and we need to be profitable. And unfortunately, people's jobs are a are a uh, uh, result of that. It, it's, it's a side effect of that. But um, I think ultimately in the long run, it's, it's I don't say it's for the best. And losing a job is not good. I've lost my job. You know, I've been laid off. I, it, it's, it's not great. But uh, ultimately, these businesses are, are, are reconfiguring themselves to be a, pro- a more profitable, be leaner, so that they they can continue to move on. Because at the end of the day, the business has to survive if it's going to create more opportunities for people in the future. So, I think the economy is definitely shaky right now. Uh, we're starting. We're seeing it on our end. I mean, there's there's a lot of. Uh, uh, companies that that we've worked in the past who all of a sudden don't have as much budget for some of their employee uh, appreciation um, uh, programs that, that they're going through, um, and and we you know we we were one of the vendors that that worked with them on that. So uh, we're not seeing business dry up, but but we're not necessarily seeing the same budgets that were being played with last year and the year before. So uh, I don't know. It's 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 uncertain, but I don't think it's as scary as what, you know, people went through 13, 14 years ago in the 07, 08 uh, period. I think this is something that uh, will come back. And uh, I think we'll, we'll be back into a, a within, I think in, in a year, we're going to be a lot more optimistic about, about what, where things are going. So um, that's, that's, that's my long winded thought. Yeah. No, no, I think right now the, the, the main thing is just the extremes, you know, you go from one, one extreme to the other in terms of like, rates and the amount of capital and and how easy or or harsh like financial conditions are and anytime you shift that quickly um you know it takes a lot of you know reacting and you know that it's the result of low when you have low interest rates and money's cheap companies are going to be aggressive it's because you know because now the hurdle rate for Mm -hmm. making anything profitable or worthwhile is so low you know so if you're like hey if i can get an incremental Ten million dollars at you know three percent interest, or I can get it from VCs at super low dilution. You're going to take that incremental five million, ten million, a hundred million every day of the week, and go deploy it on riskier and riskier things. Because if it works out, it's great. If not, it doesn't. And you know, and that's also comes with people too. Like you're going to hire as much great talent as you can in that kind of market environment because you want to take advantage Mm -hmm. of the growth opportunities and not fall behind you know other companies. And then when when the react when the market shifts, then companies are going to shift, and you know they're treating you know people kind of become a casualty in that. But you know at least the good thing is unemployment's never been lower, and you know people are as you right. said are finding jobs super super quickly on the backside of it. Um, but companies just have to shift. That's so you know it's the incentives that were kind of out there. I think. I think I think that you know being in the shoes of a small business bootstrap business, um, I think. The fact that I have I'm nowhere near uh, any point of market saturation. I think uh, there's and 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 I and I'm sort of saying this to, uh, sort of to other entrepreneurs in in a similar 
you know, uh, space or similar similar mode of their of their business, there's opportunity to still grow. I still think that there's I think it's it's still a good time to be in small business. I, I think this is obviously, uh, you know, affecting tech companies uh, mainly. Um, obviously, some, some fintech companies are getting hit, too. But I, I ultimately think that um, in small business, there's there's a lot of opportunity in Greenfield still, uh, especially if, if you're not at any point of or near market saturation with your product or service. And I think there's going to be a lot of job openings for people coming down from, from corporate you know, layoffs where they can land in decent jobs, well-paying jobs within small businesses. So I think I think, you know, that the. That's that's another sort of interesting take that I have on the this situation. The market is is I just I just think that for for small business owners, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there still. You just got to go find it, right? You know, it's 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 not as easy as it was. Um, but but if if you're creative, if you're nimble, if you're gritty, if if you're willing to kind of just do the dirty work and, and and understand that there might be some lean months in in between, there there are some some. There's, there's areas of growth. We expect to grow this year uh, instead of shrink or anything like that. So I think that's that's a, a point that that I definitely believe in and, and and helps me, you know, keep keep inspired. And every time, like you said, when I when I look at a LinkedIn headline about the next four thousand employees being laid off from X Y Z company, you know, I I'm still thrilled to to do what I do because I think there's still a lot of opportunity to to keep going and grow my business and hopefully create more job opportunities for other people to join me. Right. So. Um, that, that that's another point that I think is is uh, worth at least putting out there. Yeah, and, and anytime there's volatility, it also means that there's like new opportunities. When things are changing rapidly, that also means that the people that shift their strategy and business models, et cetera, you know, can find new opportunities. It's the same thing that you did during the pandemic, and same thing that we did with our business. It's like you have to look at where the puck is kind of going and skate towards it. And as long as you're staying yeah. ahead, you can grow you know your relative market share. Because like you said, let's say you know, plant B2B markets, uh, let's say it's a hundred million dollars, just as like a random number. Even it comes, sure. even if it comes down 10% this year to 90 million, if your market share goes from 5% to 10%, you're now a much bigger business. And it's because you're going to be proactive yeah. about finding those opportunities when maybe other people aren't. So I, you know, I, I think of it the same way as a startup. Like you, you know, you, you can't use the market as a hundred percent like excuse to not find areas to grow when you're still so small like yeah. relative to the size. Like there's always, there's always new areas. There's always pockets of the market that are doing better than worse, you know, when the economy shifts and stuff. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of the DNA of being an entrepreneur is finding those opportunities. So um, la yeah. last question I got for you. Uh, and I like to ask this at, at the end sure. of all the, all the podcasts here. I'll, I'll ask one more question before we get into it. How are, you, know, you talked about you're hoping to grow like three X this year. Like, how do you think about modeling, especially in an uncertain economic environment? You're talking about, you are seeing pockets of demand weakening and stuff. Like, are you very detailed in like how you do financial modeling or, or and projections, or is it more like aspirational and like let's put a lot of effort behind it and, and get there? I I I am I know exactly every month what we should be hitting, and if we don't hit our goals, what we should be cutting. I'm 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 pretty these days. Uh, I'm I'm. I'm very in the weeds of, of the financial model of, of my business. So um, the way that I look at sort of being able to grow is I, I first look at, okay, what, what is just a time commitment, for, not a financial commitment, right? Cause so, so it's just, it's, it's, it's not a dud where if, if, if I, if it didn't work out like content creation, right. If it didn't work out and it was just, you know, organic stuff, 
it's not going to hurt the business financially. So I look there. What can we maximize there? Then I look at what's worked in the past. For us, industry events. Every time we go to an event, uh, whether it's a, a regional trade show um, or it's with one of the top 40 distributors in one of their sales meetings, every time we go, we get important contacts that within a couple of months turn into a couple of sort of tester deals. And then those go into bigger deals once we've gained trust and developed the relationship with those, those distributors. So that, that's sort of the next level. And then uh, once I've maximized, you know, our, our efforts in, in our organic uh, content creation, our, our event presence, then I start looking at, at testing different, um, di- different, different marketing channels like LinkedIn, like uh, there's obviously a ton of different uh, uh, newsletters and, and media companies in the promo space that we can sponsor, you know, different content, different, different pieces of media for them. Um, so, uh, I, if I, if we're, if we're having a slower month, um, it's pretty easy for me to pull back on the lever of some of the, the, the marketing channels that we're, we haven't figured out yet, or, or we're not confident it's profitable yet. Um, so for me, uh, if, if we have a bigger month, if we, if we do better in Q1 than I expected, uh, then I think we can start going into more uh, explorative of ways of, of, of growing the business and growing the brand presence, brand awareness uh, with different marketing channels and paid media channels. Um, so it, it's kind of a confusing answer to what you asked. What, what, to, to sum it up, basically, I'm, I'm constantly looking at what we're doing, what our actuals are versus what our projections are. And when it comes down to it, I'm looking at um, what are the safe levers to pull? Because I, I know that those levers are going to give us a, a steady, slow growth um, to where I believe we can be at the end of the year, which for us is that in, the, the, those event presence, uh, the, the, those event, industry events that, that we're going to uh, attend this year. And then if we really start picking up momentum, we really start gathering some, some, some strength in our growth, uh, then I've got more money to play with and, and put into more, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of risky, so to speak, uh, uh, paid media channels to just get brand presence and, and you know, uh, put, put our name out there. So um, I feel confident in what we're doing is going to drive us growth for the very fact that we're still so new and we've still got a lot of a lot of uh, green pasture to, to, to cover. Um, and uh, I, I as as things go throughout the year, I'm always looking at how we how we compare, how we how we perform against uh, what our projections are. And, and usually by like the eighth or ninth day, I have a pretty good thumb on how the uh, month is going to go. So, um, you know, that's, it's, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proactive about, about how we make our decisions and where we, where we put our money. Um, and, and certainly being as, as conservative as I can be at the moment, just knowing how, how weird things are and how, how unpredictable things are at the moment. Yep. I love it. No, it's, it's, so different when you can start running the business like you're flying an airplane with all the different controls and you can see the data and the monitors and yeah. versus just kind of flying blind. I think a lot of times like entrepreneurship in the early days is very much flying blind. You don't really know exactly why it's happening. It's kind of just happening. And then as things evolve, you can start to pinpoint exactly you know the inputs that lead to the outputs and, and start to dial them up or down, et cetera. So it's cool to, cool to hear that yeah. you've gotten to that. It's it's it once once you've been through the the uh, through the woods so to speak right um, and you've got some bumps and bruises you 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 learn um, how to react to that how how you, how you can prevent it how you can fix things um, no problems ever the same of course but like it's just it's just experience you can draw from right and um, just it, the other thing is not getting you know, emotionally tied up in a problem. It's just, it's just saying, hey, been through this, done this before, been through a pandemic before, 
to figure it out. What do we got to do? How do we react to this? How do we how do we make the fix happen and, and make sure that whether it's a customer issue or it's an internal issue, how do we how do we fix a problem and, and make sure it's it's not duct tape, make sure it's fixed for good and uh, we, we don't make the same mistake twice. Yep. Well there's a there's a, a ton more we can go into around operating the business and managing people and building out <laughs> processes and, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, the, the last question I'll ask is, you know, if there's an entrepreneur or a team listening to this right now and they're, you know, maybe in a precarious spot, maybe they weren't as conservative or as thoughtful as you, or maybe they don't have as much clarity around their modeling and, you know, they're not sure if they'll be in business in three months or, or six months or something. Cause you know, they're just you know really uncertain right now. What would, what would your advice be to that, you know, founder or that team? First off, you got to have a clear head to be able to tackle a situation like that. So the first thing I'd say is it's going to be okay, regardless of what happens, whether it's something out of control or just your, it, it's uh, something you're paying for, for from a mistaken investment six months prior to eight months prior, it's going to be okay. So, you know, that, that'd be the first thing I'd say. And then secondly, uh, I'd say it's it's important to hold on to cash where you can um, really dive deep into your into your, the last tra- the trailing 12 months of uh, your, your pro forma, uh, take a look at, you know, what, are there areas of the business that are, that are bleeding money, whether it's a slow bleed or it's hemorrhaging money, um, you know, like a, like a, a unsuccessful, unprofitable Facebook campaign, you know, where can you cut that cost and conserve? Because, you know, growth is something that in this country, in our, in our economic environment, in, in our community of, of small business owners and entrepreneurs, Growth is, is, is an addiction, right? Where we're addicted to growth. Uh, but growth can only happen if you have a strong company. And so it's much more important in a time of, uh, you know, crisis or uncertainty or insecurity. It's, it's much more important to, to, to make that, that business model as lean as you can and then build back up as, as you see fit and, and, and see where, where growth needs to happen. So often small business owners will have an initial period of success in a certain investment, you know, um, and then it kind of starts to flatten a little bit. And uh, even if it's still getting some growth in, um, that channel may not be worth it anymore. People just sort of, there's just so much else going on that it's easier to set and forget and say, oh, it was growing. It's, it's, I'm sure it's helping us. It's, it's bringing some value in. Um, it, it's important to just be honest with yourself, go into those financials and see where you can cut the fat because that's the only way that you're going to find your, an easier way to uh, uh, being being profitable again um, and, and having a strong, sustainable business model. Yep. No, I think it's really important to just be practical and like really diagnose, okay, what's working, what's not working, put a place in plan and, and stay focused to, to make it happen. But this is awesome. Ton of fun listening to this. And, and again, it was cool to hear that we helped inspire some of the, uh, the turn of the business to go after the B2B space, but really enjoyed having you on. Thanks for coming on. And uh, hopefully, you know, where can people find you? You guys are, you're at deskplants.com still. You're on LinkedIn a lot. Yep. Deskplants.com. You can follow Deskplants on LinkedIn. We're just content every single day. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Lawrence Hanley. So, um, and, and I'm always available for, uh, for chat. Um, we're, we're a sample happy company. So if you think uh, you, you got a, a boss or a team that, that you want to send some stuff to, just reach out. We'll, we'll get you a sample pretty quickly, pretty easily. So um, yeah, Deskplants.com is the best place to find us. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Austin. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it, man. 
Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. More episodes are on the way. If you want to keep the conversation going, suggest questions, or nominate guests for future episodes, you can reach me on Twitter at Michael Martocci. Good luck and see you next time.